Hello and welcome back to American Riviera Bank's Regional Pulse. This is Laurel Sykes, Chief Risk Officer and Executive Vice President at the bank. Today my guests are Vicki Johnson of the Santa Barbara County District Attorney's Office as well as Sandra Gallo, our very own Senior Product Manager, who will share her own experiences trying to work with a, a victim of a uh, financial scam. And we'd like to turn our attention today to chronic victimization um, and what we all can do with friends or family members that may have been subject to financial abuse or uh, fraud scams and um, different types of techniques that maybe have worked over the years for intervening so that the, uh, the money lost can be minimized as much as possible. So Vicki, I'd like to thank you so much for being here and Sandra, thank you as well. I thought we would start today with Vicki of the District Attorney's Office to learn a little bit more about your experiences dealing with chronic victimization and what we can do to help. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. So with these victims, particularly the, the kind of victim that falls for scams that go on for a long period of time, like sweepstakes and lottery or the romance scam, what they're demonstrating is the need for some kind of fulfillment in their life. It might be triggered by loneliness in the case of romance scams, loneliness, isolation, the, the loss of a particular relationship. In the case of sweepstakes and lottery scams, it might be triggered by just the need for a sense of fulfillment, the need for a social connection with somebody, and a desire to provide some financial assistance to their family. But it is the need for some type of fulfillment. So it's important to understand that. It's important to understand where this chronic victimization comes from. And scammers are just excellent psychologists. They know just exactly how to tap into this particular kind of vulnerability. They become the victim's best friend. And in the case of romance scams, they're soulmate. In the case of other kinds of financial scams, they become the best pal of their victim. They call every day. They ask about the family. They act like a real friend. And of course, the victim, if, if he's feeling isolated, if he's feeling um, a loss of purpose in his life, this particular individual on the other end of the phone is the answer. So that's the starting point, is to realize why this person is vulnerable to a particular kind of scam. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how you approach somebody who is a chronic victim. First of all, approach them with a lot of compassion, without judgment. It's so easy to say to somebody, how could you fall for that? That is so ridiculous, and put them on the defensive. Another thing that you can do is not call them a victim because they don't see themselves as a victim. They don't see this other person as a scammer. So you are insulting them and putting them on the defensive if you are judgmental with them or if you call them a victim. Start by asking questions. What is this person asking you to do? Have you ever tried to verify the information that they are giving you? And Look for information in the story that can be verified. Is there something that they can follow through with? Well, he's asking you to send the money to Florida. 
but the email seems to be coming from someplace out of the country. How does he explain that? And again, try to figure out what the situational factors are. What is causing this person to become victimized? What activity or support can you give to this person so they aren't relying on this scammer for their social life or their identity or their sense of purpose? And there are support groups out there which are wonderful so that these victims can be talking to people in their own situation, people who have been victimized by these scammers. AARP has a wonderful support group. It's free. It's an hour, I believe, a week. You can go to the website, AARP, and look for support groups and sign up, and you will be uh, paired with individuals that are in a like situation to yourself. But what activities can you get this person involved with? Can you go out for a walk with them a couple times a week? Can you get them involved in some kind of other social group? Uh, maybe if the person likes to play bridge, can you get them involved in some kind of an organization where they can go and play bridge? There's all kinds of senior centers that have wonderful activities for people that are senior and people that might be lonely. Again, try and find out what is the source of this need to connect with a scammer. So Vicki, the last time that you and I spoke, we discussed um, the importance of looking at this victimization oftentimes as an addiction, addiction to the person that they're speaking with, um, addiction to maybe the the excitement of winning millions and millions of dollars. I know also um, from experience, sometimes um, when our loved ones are um, taking medication for various ailments, it can, can increase their impulsive behaviors and make them more susceptible to these types of things. Um, so what do you suggest in situations where maybe somebody is um, addicted to whatever it is they're engaging in that's causing them to lose their, their livelihood? Well, that's a tough question, and I, I can't pretend to have the answer to that question. I do know if you look at other addictive kind of behaviors, such as alcoholism, drug addiction, the thing that seems to work the best in those particular situations is going to AA, finding a support group, finding a place that you can go where other people are in your same situation. And so once again, I go back to the support groups that are offered by organizations such as AARP, because there you can connect with other people who have like stories, who can commiserate with you, and who can interact with you without judgment. And that is so very, very important. That's fantastic. And Sandra, given all of this, I know that you have personal experience with a loved one um, who was having a hard time believing friends and family about the, the fact that she was potentially being scammed. So we'd love to hear from you now firsthand about what it was like on, on the front of that to, to hear a loved one uh, falling prey and, and, and exhibiting a lot of these same uh, symptoms that Nikki has talked to us about today. Thank you so much. You guys are talking about something near and dear to my heart, so I really appreciate being here. So let's see, where, where do we even start? This is um, a typical romance scam. 
this friend of ours is 84 years old. Three years ago, she had the most tragic experiences in her life. She lost her husband and her two children in three-month time period. So then right after that, we have COVID. And um, so my friend went from a very active and busy social life to not having any family members. And also she was isolated at home because of COVID. And she started spending a lot of time on Facebook. And as you've talked about, a lot of these start off in social media. So for my friend, it started off in Facebook. And she was very isolated. She started spending a lot of time on social media and she was contacted and was led to believe that she was speaking to a gentleman, communicating with a gentleman, not speaking, communicating um, with a gentleman who is a retired U.S. general. The scammers actually were able to pull his picture, a legitimate picture of a retired U.S. general from Wikipedia and convinced her that they were him and that he was doing very special undercover work for the U.S. government in Syria. And they started this relationship. At first it was on Facebook. Then she was convinced to go off of Facebook onto another forum because it would be more secure. They convinced her. I say they because I think it was more than one person. Um, they convinced her that this is top secret information and that if she talked about it to anyone, that this general's life would be in jeopardy. I didn't have any clue that anything was going on until our friend called me one time and asked me for a very large loan. She asked me to borrow $50,000 from my 401k. Mm. And I... I was so shocked. I mean, this friend of ours has always been so proud of her financial management, and I, I couldn't understand why she was asking me for this money. She tried to convince me it was because she wanted to sell her home and she needed to invest some money into her home, and I kept talking to her about it. These were red flags. I said, you know, you don't have to have money. You don't have to put money into your house if you're selling it. And I really could never get her off of the story that she was giving me. Needless to say, fortunately, I did not give her money. But I was getting these red flags, and I started talking with other family members, my family members, to try and figure out what was going on. Unfortunately, our friend would not tell us what was happening until after she had sold her house. She had already sent all of her money she had taken out over $200,000 in loans. She sent the money from the sale of her house. Um, she sent this through the U.S. Post Office. She finally let us know that something was going on because she had dressed up on a Friday, invited a pastor to her friend's house, and she thought she was getting married to this general. And obviously, nobody showed up. And that was when she had an inkling that she had been scammed. That is just heartbreaking. Um, and unfortunately, it's so common. I mean, you're, you're talking about a lot of the same characteristics that Vicki was discussing earlier in her case, where they are pretending to be, they're impersonating somebody that's a legitimate person out in the world. In her case, 
it was the adult entertainment star. In this case, it was someone that's credentialed and, you know, uh, you know, obviously could be involved in secret operations. I worked a case a couple of years back where um, a woman had been defrauded by somebody that probably hacked into her deceased husband's email and started corresponding with her um, uh, as a former business partner of her deceased husband and um, was in China, allegedly, and couldn't get out until he paid taxes, was going to come to the U.S. and marry her, um, but she needed to send money. And one of the things that we uh, discussed in, in part one of this series was how challenging it is for the victims, because if they have willingly sent the money, and particularly in a situation like this where it's cash, there really is no way to recover other than to report it and hope that you know, the, there's an asset recovery team in the works that can can help get this money together. Um, what did you and your family do when this was going on? What was your first? Oh, we were absolutely horrified. Um, and as I am a former regulator for banking regulator, I you know knew that this didn't sound right. And she she was telling me her story, and it was so intense that. Um, she was convinced that this general who was in Syria, she was convinced that the general um, had moved his entire financial portfolio to a Syrian bank. And when we were talking about it, I, just talking through it, I said, you know, the U.S. government is never going to advocate that we move, our military moves their assets to a foreign country, especially someplace like Syria. And as we started talking about it, it made more sense to her. And she was kind of opening up to being understanding about, you know, she, she started opening herself to the possibility she had been scammed. Mm -hmm. This was um, before uh, she was standing at the altar. Waiting. Oh no, it was after. Oh, we didn't know wow. anything until oh. it was, it was all done by the time we really knew what was going on. Um, she had already sent the money. she had already been set up at the altar. They were continuing to um, contact her because um, I believe that the scammers were hoping that she would get loans. Mm -hmm. um, after it was all over, we found out that she had asked multiple people for upwards of $250,000 that she was trying to borrow. Um, same thing. He was telling her that um, the money was offshore in Syria, needed to pay to get the money repatriated here. Once it happened, they were going to have this beautiful life because he had been gifted gold bars from the Syrian government and, and all of these things. And it was heart-wrenching to hear her story and more heart-wrenching that she really wouldn't admit or be able to open herself up to the possibility that she had been scammed. And I know it was because it had to have been so incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. She said that she had vetted this, all of this information, that somebody had called her from the U.S. Um, Secret Service to tell her how to send the money that the cash was going to go to a P.O. box. It was going to be picked up and put into a diplomatic pouch for him. As we were talking about it, I asked her if she'd gotten any emails. And it was actually, I think, the, C the Secretary of State, Department of State. And when she read the email, it was like a dot, you know, outlook. It was an mm -hmm. outlook or something. It was not a government mm -hmm. email. And again, she started kind of going, hmm, maybe. But she wanted so desperately to believe in this. 
that she wouldn't report it. Um, my sister at that point um, contacted Adult Protective Services mm -hmm. in the area where they're all living. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the only one that's out of the area and um, reported it. She reported it to the FBI. And when law enforcement actually contacted our friend, she was absolutely unwilling to admit that she had been scammed. Mm -hmm. um, she wouldn't talk to them for the longest time. And it wasn't until about two months later when the scammers went completely silent that she really understood that she had lost everything and that she would speak with um, law enforcement. Oh, that's terrible. And you know, it's, um, it's similar to what we talked about in, in our first session on this is we're between a rock and a hard place because of adult protective services and or law enforcement can't um, convince somebody they're being scammed. They can lose everything. And it, it's two of the things that I really appreciate um, of your approach or exactly what Vicki was talking about, that it's really important to use those non-judgmental questions to get more information, to see if those red flags are going to pop up. And then you can turn to something that's verifiable, right? Like the reverse um, Google search of the image of the individual or a pamphlet or a handout that explains that here are the red flags and maybe that will trigger them to realize that, you know, something is not going on right here. But one of the things you also said was that you were convinced that it was more than one person. Mm -hmm. um, what leads you to believe that? So I'm, I'm convinced that there were multiple people because it was so well orchestrated. To this day, my friend talks about six love letters that she received from the scammer. And she talks about that they are the most beautiful love letters mm -hmm. she has ever had in her entire life. She has saved them. But all of the interactions, the timing, either the person was up, you know, almost 18, 20 hours a, a day where he, they would, you know, send communications or it had to be multiple people. That's interesting because as Vicki mentioned um, previously, um, you know, these are oftentimes overseas dealings, huge operations, multiple floors, each floor dedicated to a different scam, each person dedicated to a different piece of the scam. There's somebody that grooms the victim. There's somebody that is collecting all kinds of information online, including names of daughters or sons, to make the conversation seem legitimate. Um, and there's there's yet others that are that are crafting these emails and these communications, or creating a letter from Homeland Security or Secret Service with the decals. It truly is an operation. And I think one of the things that um, any victim should be able to, to take some comfort with is knowing that these people are professionally trained to do this um, and that many people fall prey all the time. A couple of more things that I'd like to, to cover with each of you today. You know, Vicki, you talked to us about chronic victimization and then in different methods that have worked to potentially, you know, work with victims before they've been scammed out of everything. And Sandra, you talked specifically about the red flags that came up in your conversation. So explain to us a little bit about how important it was to, to be gentle in your questioning and to, you know, take that non-judgmental approach. You know, our friend was already so tender and raw over this that I, I just knew that if it came off that I was attacking her or questioning her judgment mm -hmm. that she was going to go inside mm -hmm. and just shut down. And interestingly enough, she had already been isolated. 
the the scammer scammers they had managed to get her to isolate off of social media she wasn't talking with people about what was going on she was um she was just she wasn't being forthcoming um there were lies mm -hmm. and all of that and at one point my friend had been taking money out of her bank account and the bankers identified that money was coming out and contacted her daughter-in-law who unfortunately was very confrontational mm. about what was going on and it caused our friend to completely shut down and I, she isolated herself even more. I really believe that when we're having these conversations, if we're just open and gentle mm -hmm. and allow people to tell their story, mm -hmm. which is exactly what we did with her, that's when things will start coming out. But the moment they feel attacked, they're already feeling embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I know that our friend felt embarrassed. She felt that she was dumb. How could she be in her 80s and have fallen mm -hmm. for something like this? And, you know, it just, it broke my heart that she had, was carrying that burden. So Vicki, in, in part one, when, when you and I chatted previously, we talked a lot about um, the different types of scams that we're seeing here in our local communities. And we also talked about the um, fraud working group um, that meets here locally. And we have such fantastic resources here on the Central Coast. And I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit about them. I'm going to have you remind us of your fraud hotline um, at the end of our presentation here. But also, in, in short, we have a lot of um, agencies that are here local. We have the Santa Barbara Center for Successful Aging. They do some senior peer counseling. Um, the San Luis Obispo County also has a senior peer counseling group. Um, there's the Senior Connection. There's the VA Caregiver Support Line, um, the California Friendship Line. All of these fantastic support groups and resources are at the ready to help in addition to what we have available through Adult Protective Services. And I would just like to encourage our listeners, um, we did publish a blog uh, for World Elder Abuse Awareness Day on June the 15th this year um, with links and phone numbers and all kinds of resources that you can use if you have a loved one or yourself that's fallen prey to a scam. And as Vicki mentioned, the AARP also has the... Um, the, the resources available in doing that peer counseling, but they also have a fraud watch network helpline. Um, and you can actually sign up to be a member of that hotline and answer the phone calls coming in from other victims. So to your point about um, replacing what they're missing with some new or other activity, sometimes the best, you know, um, remedy to, to being scammed and the, and the feelings that come from that is to help others uh, so that you know that somebody else is out there listening. And one last question for Sandra here, um, because I think it's really, really important. Um, you obviously have a background to where you are going to notice things that don't seem on the up and up with your, you know, career history and your regulatory background and your banking background. Um, but I think that any of us, if we are doing that gentle questioning and opening ourselves up, those red flags are, are really important to listen for. Um, but it's also very important that you listen for them and then figure out a way to give them information that they can verify on their own, whether it be a, hey, have you read this? Hey, have you seen this online? Hey, do you want to try calling and talking to this person? Um, because um, this sounds like 
you know, somebody else that might have, um, you know, there might be another person that shares the same exact story. Um, we've been uh, successful in the past sharing Google searches where you can find the names of fraud rings, depending on where they've sent the check or the money. Um, tell me a little bit about those specific red flags. What were the five or six things that really stood out to you in your conversations? Well, before I knew what was going on, the main red flag was when when my friend started asking for money. Again, that was completely different from her normal behavior. And then when I heard that she had been taking money out of her account, that was another red flag. When I was trying to get more information on it and what I was getting from her was, it was so interesting. She started talking about she had been purchasing food in case there was any kind of a conflict. And so she was really falling hook, line, and sinker, it sounded like, into almost conspiracy mm-hmm. um, type behaviors. And um, she even told me at one point that she wasn't sure that she trusted the banking system anymore. And you know, I, I, I was like, but I work in banking. Mm-hmm. You know I work in banking. How can you not trust it? I would never tell you anything false. And she said, oh, well, you know. It's not that much money. But the main thing is I wasn't getting full answers. Yeah. And unfortunately, from a geographical standpoint, I'm so far away now that I wasn't able to have as much contact with her as before I couldn't look her in the eyes. That was when she really started talking, mm-hmm. was when people were face-to-face with her. Mm-hmm. It was It was just... This and, and being so secretive exactly. about things. That was a red flag for us as well because she had always been very open with us and now all of a sudden we were kind of being brushed off from things. What really amazed me was when we were talking afterwards because she was talking about this this person being the love of her life and you know, she'd been married before, but had never experienced this depth of love. And I asked her, all I want is the best for you. And I would have celebrated you, know, you having a relationship like this at this stage in your life, at any stage of your life. You know, I don't understand that you didn't feel like you could, could talk to us or any of her close-knit group. And what I now understand is they isolated her so much Mm -hmm. that they convinced her that the best way to spring this, to announce this to friends and family, was to wait until this retired general was back on U.S. soil. They were married, you know, legally married was what she had been told. Apparently they had been talking to each other as though they were husband and wife for months Mm -hmm. You you talked about how many months they groom, Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what happened. There was a four-month time period where they were referring to themselves as husband and wife before she had sent all of her money and then some Mm -hmm. and realized what had happened. And, you know, that's what they do. They they isolate. They prep with answers. Um, Oftentimes when we're working with clients on these cases, they have a canned response for anything. I'm sending money to a family friend or it's an investment. And I think 
um, that that idea for any loved one who has um, a friend or family member falling prey to a scam. The important thing to know is they're so good at what they do and they are so in deep and it's been going on for so long with so many things that cause that victim to believe that we can't be judgmental. We can't be confrontational because like you said, they're, they're so believing and so needing that contact as, as Vicki talked about, it's, it's an addiction. Vicki, one of the things that I've always appreciated about working with you and members of the, the task force against fraud here locally, um, are the ways, the very creative ways that people have come up with to provide that verifiable information. Um, you told a story once about, um, doing a, a Google reverse image search um, and suddenly Google will show you where that picture is being used. I remember one time in our scam group, I think it was the FTC that was speaking to us, talking about the latest scam where you thought you had bought a dog online and you'd spent $1,000 for the dog of your dreams, um, only to find out that it never made it on the plane to your home. And the reverse uh, Google search showed that that dog had been used in just about every picture known to man for all of these different types of scams. Um, what are some examples of other uh, ways to verify information um, that you maybe have been successful in using with victims? So one of the places where I send people, for example, if they want to donate to a charity and they're not sure about this particular charity, I refer them to Better Business Bureau because the BBB does look at charities. They will give a rating to the charity and you can get lots of good information about that particular charity. So that is one place that's a good place to go. I think education is so important, and the more that people can get educated, read about scams, attend presentations, lectures about scams, that is the best way to arm yourself against being victimized. Because if you know what the red flags are, the minute somebody asks for money, it's a scam. The minute somebody asks you to buy a gift card, it's a scam. The minute somebody asks you to move quickly, pressures you to give them an answer, give them money, do something right this minute, you know that's a scam. So those are the kinds of triggers that if people can be educated to recognize they can avoid, I think, a lot of vulnerability to these particular fraudsters. That's fantastic information. And I think that one of the things that I've also loved about this community and what you offer through the district attorney's office is your, your fraud hotline. And um, I feel like being able to speak one-on-one -on -one with somebody about what it is that they are uh, experiencing, whether they thought they found love or they thought that they have won the lottery or whatever the case may be, um, probably the best defense we have against convincing someone that they have been defrauded is the fact that you've had experiences working with so many um, people that have fallen prey to the same types of scams. And we see it in the presentations as well. It's always interesting to me, you start off the presentation after the first 10 minutes and suddenly arms start getting raised and people start sharing stories. You know, everybody's embarrassed to say that it happened to them until they hear how common it is and how many times others have fallen prey. Absolutely. And that's why I think these support groups are important. 
because all of a sudden you realize you're not alone, you're not stupid, you're not ignorant, you just fell prey to a professional, somebody who does this for a living and they are very good at what they do, they are master psychologists, and you can start to feel a little bit better about yourself. Um, any one of our listeners today that wants more information, um, we do have um, a blog in addition to these podcasts and webinars and um, some materials. So I'm going to encourage you to, to take a look at what's published out there. You can go visit AmericanRiviera.bank and search for the word elder, and we'll have materials there. We're always open to hearing what more information you want to hear about. Um, and in the meantime, I would like to thank both Vicki and Sandra so much for their time and for coming to speak with us today and thank our listeners for, for joining us to listen in. And I'd also love Vicki to share with us again, the phone line um, for reporting um, scams here locally uh, for your fraud hotline. Absolutely. You can call me at area code 805-568-2442. And I will repeat that 805-568-2442. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to speak to your listeners. And thank you for the wonderful work that you do here at the bank. Well, thank you again, Vicki and Sandra. And thanks to our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. 